everyone. You can be turning over to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is where we will be in God's word this morning. And I do think it is a, uh, it's a fitting psalm for us and a fitting study in two ways. One, in our, our summer of the psalms, where we've just been swimming around in the psalms, uh, it's, a, it's a good conclusion to this little series that the Lord brought to us and going uh, through the, the songs of the Bible in the Psalter to, to remember his goodness, but also to find our experience uh, within the experience of God's people and how God answered. But also, just in terms of a follow-up to <clears throat> the conversation, or our, our, uh, our guest last week with Pastor Ryan Perkins and Love of Jesus Ministry uh, congregation, many of the members that, that were with us, uh, I want us to make sure that our allegiance is in the right place. Because we can get, in our culture today, you have, to, you have to go all in on one thing. And if you don't go all in on one thing, then you hate that thing. And we, we as the people of God need to, need to have a balance uh, because there's a bunch of tension in our culture. Uh, I came across a tweet uh, several weeks back, and it was something like this. I, I forget the exact phrase, but it was to follow the whole counsel of Scripture and the whole counsel of Christ your liberal friends will think you're too conservative and your conservative friends will think you're too liberal. Because when we see Jesus interacting with people, we see a combination of mercy and tough love. Right? We usually fall in either category because we don't do a good job of balancing those things in our you uh, husbands and wives, parents, you know that. One of you is one of you tends toward mercy, the other tends toward tough love and raising your children. That's we, we end up falling in one of those categories without recognizing, wait, we, we need to strike a balance. Now, the balance is helpful, uh, or the balance rather is the only way we can walk out that balance is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Period. Because when we try to strike that balance, we cancel ourselves out. But you know, a tightrope walker, we're afraid of tension all the time, aren't we? Especially within Scripture, we're afraid of tension that we live with. A tightrope walker's greatest fear is lack of tension in the line, slack. So we don't have to be afraid of tension. We need to be honest with it, but we need to be loving in our response in it. So I think uh, just to have that as a, a backdrop or why we need to be reminded today that the king is on the throne. Uh, I'll do this right before we, we read this, just to set up what we're doing. You know, talking about in our culture, um, we, in our culture, we have to, we're expected to say black lives matter. And we're not allowed to say anything else after that. Well, as the people of God, we want to say black lives matter, but listen, it doesn't mean that we support the Black Lives Matter organization, because the organization is, I believe, evil. And how it's seeking opportunity, and you see the sinisterness of what's going on, uh, preying on the opportunity of people's experiences. But you know, we can, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer in North Carolina, he described it this way. 
He said, you know, if we're all, if our family's out at dinner and our server comes and brings all the food, but one of our family members doesn't have a plate, we bring attention to that. You know what? Um, he matters right now. He needs, he needs his food. We don't in that situation say, look, you need your food. We, we all need our food, okay? So why don't you just rest assured that we all need our food right now? No, in particular situations, we bring attention to what, need, what needs attention. We're not diminishing or discounting the fact that everybody needs to eat. We're highlighting, we're, we're recognizing both of those. So as we, as we look to uh, gospel partnerships within this community, and particularly when it comes to uh, understanding the black community and how they've experienced life, that one, it does not diminish a hard life that you had to walk through. It doesn't discount the fact that you had to work really hard in life. We feel that though, don't we? We feel like, wait a minute, to highlight your plight means that I have to ignore mine. The culture says, yes, you do have to do that. God says, you don't have to do that. But we want to make sure that we are, we're not stepping on one truth in order to promote another. And it's, a, it's a, a slippery slope that we get into because in, we feel like to highlight this, we have to denigrate that. And look, culture, unbelievers, will absolutely do that. Freaking out again, or you just took the picture off again? All right. I mean, this is just, it's a new adventure every time we turn things on around here. Peter's <laughs> got a mind of its own. This projector's got a mind of its own. They don't want to communicate. I can find an analogy in that. Many of them. But listen, where we are as a church and what we believe God's walking us through is we want to be postured when we recognize and, and affirm that we see both things in Scripture as well in life. We want to affirm those things. That's why I'm, I, I've used the phrase, we as the church want to uh, seek the freedom of the oppressed and the marginalized in our society. That, that means what the black community has experienced. That means also what the unborn experience as being marginalized and canceled out of culture without a voice. That also means we want to seek freedom for uh, human trafficking, those who are, are in the bondage of human trafficking. You know, there are more enslaved people today in the history of this world. All of us, we, we, we need to be careful what we spout off about, but we need to make sure that when we give our opinion, it's a balanced approach, not a Fox News balance. It leans right, or you're right. We know that. But listen, want to be in touch with Scripture. We want to be under the rule and reign of our King. Because look, here's the whole point of the message. God is using our obedience to Him to show everybody that He's King. That's what He's doing. And we want to participate in that. And we want to be willing. We want to offer ourselves to that obedience in what God does. So, uh, also, if you have questions about maybe maybe what you're perceiving 
or hearing from me, please ask questions. Please, please, please. Please ask. Please don't fill in blanks and guess what I'm trying to do and try to take the church in a weird direction. Please ask. I, it's, I love our senior population in this church because they tell me all the time, listen, this is what I think you're doing. And this is why I love that. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's not try to fill in blanks because that's when the enemy has opportunity to, uh, to cause, tempt us to fill in blanks incorrectly. Also want to say, um, we want to make sure you know, I, I, I can say, I will say, I say Black Lives Matter, not the organization, just matter. And their experience matters to us, and we need to listen. I think defunding the police is ludicrous. I don't, and I, I've tried to read articles and listen and try to figure out what on earth can be accomplished by defunding those that are commissioned and take a, an oath to protect us. It doesn't make any sense to me. Are there bad cops? Yeah. But there are really great cops. And I am so thankful for those great cops. Look, it's also a little rabbit trail. We're not, all, we're not ignoring the fact there's, that there's racism on the other side, that maybe you have been uh, the subject of racial discrimination from other ethnicities. Ethni eth I'm good with my words. Black people, Hispanic people, Asian. Look, it doesn't, we all have stories, and we all have experience. But what the, what the world's doing is taking their experience and trying to use it as a sledgehammer to accomplish their own freedom. I want to be free from me, so I'm going to take my experience and use it as a sledgehammer over and over on you. The people of God don't need to do that. Why is the beauty of Jesus taking the sledgehammer of God's wrath means that we're not bound by those things anymore and we don't we, we're not identified by them and we recognize that the freedom that we desire and the satisfaction that we seek is not found in, in a, a, a personal affront situation we recognize that God's in control and he's using our obedience he's using our obedience to show a lost rebellious proud world that he's king and he's the glorious king so let's read how King David says this in Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, 
he will lift up his head. Lord, I ask that you would give us grace and mercy in our time of need, but more particularly that we would have a vision to see your enthronement, that you are king exalted, seated on the throne of everything, and you operate by your sovereignty, you operate in your providence to bring about your, to highlight your righteousness, but also to exalt your grace. Lord, help us see both and affirm both, that we would be your people in the midst of this season that you have called us to walk in and live out faith. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This psalm uh, is the one that King David wrote, but it's, it's, uh, it's not with the other collection of David's psalms. David's psalms usually are in the, the first book, a few in the second book. There's five books of the psalms. Uh, but in, in David's, it's mostly in the beginning. And it's, it's a curious thing of why here a psalm of David happens all the way in book five, which usually is the accum- thought to be the accumulation of all the songs that the people of God put together after the exile. So uh, they go into exile because of their, their disobedience to God. They go into uh, Babylon, captures uh, them, and then they're under Assyrian domination, uh, or Persian, Assyrian, and then Roman occupation. They, they sing this song as a desire to look for a king that will settle everything. So think about the people of God singing this song, and they're saying, I'm looking for a king that will come. And they know what was promised to David in First Samuel, Second Samuel, Second Samuel seven. Uh, knew I should have looked that one up. I trusted my own memory; it wasn't right. When God promised David, "You'll always have a king to reign on the throne. Someone from your line will be that king." They knew that, and now they're they're asking when they can't have a king. They're not allowed to have a king. They sing this song to remind themselves: the king is coming is coming and he will bring about the relationship with God and his people that we so desire. They wanted to sing of a king that would would restore the relationship and save them from their oppression. You know, as I think of Jesus as king or or just the kingship that God is over us, I remembered this week uh, a song from when I was a boy. There's a flag flown high from the castle of where the king is in residence there. I love remembering the old songs because it just reminds me of God's faithfulness all through the years. And I remember a particular gentleman in our church who loved that song. And he would bellow it out. The Lord took him home. But I still remember Richard Jones singing that song. I still remember the smile on his face. He was a tall man. He was a tall gentleman. He did uh, street ministry in the French Quarter. He was just, he was somebody I looked at and said, that's joy. He had some weird, he was single all of his life. He had some weird views about women, but was a lover of Jesus. And now as I got older, I was like, no wonder he was single. Sometimes he, no, sometimes he called them cows of Bashan. 
It's like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Ever. Because of the jewelry they were wearing. It's like, no, but he had a flag flying high from the castle of his heart where everybody knew that Jesus was in residence there. That's what we are reminded of. Jesus is, he's our king and he's resident over our hearts. The reality, and this, this psalm and our experience in this life, remember that God is not, he's not overlooking the, the time frame that we're living through. This is not just something to endure. And we can approach life as we just need to endure this to get through. No, God has something for us to live out and walk out, to shine with the light of his glory right now. In the weirdness that we're experiencing, he wants us to live it out his way right now. And we need to tune into that to make sure that we're not missing. We're missing, we don't want to miss out on a blessing of walking in obedience with him. But Jesus is the promised king to reign and rule over all things. He shows it by ruling and reigning over our hearts. The reality of, of Jesus' God-glorifying authority should also settle our hearts amid the chaotic tensions that we're experiencing within the culture that we find ourselves in, in the, the time frame that we find ourselves in. There are two paragraphs in the psalm, and I think it's just easy to... Uh, break it up that way. We're just going to go through it. The way the, the Lord just had a bunch of different outlines looking through this, and I think we're just going to walk through it, just to highlight uh, and see the, the train of thought that God reveals to David and then David takes through in the song. But the first paragraph would simply be the king rules. And what what's interesting about David writing this song and the first phrase, the Lord says to my Lord, See, Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh, God Almighty. Says to my Lord, see how it's capital L, but little O, little R, little D? That's the Hebrew word Adonai. So, my Lord said, the Lord says to my Lord. And Jesus used this very phrase in challenging the Pharisees' concept of who they thought the Messiah would be. See, the Pharisees were saying, Pharisees are more interested in, uh, God, if I, if I obey all of your rules, then you will send someone to free us from a, a political figure, a military figure, to free us from our earthly oppression. Pharisees were looking for that. But they thought the Messiah was one to come to serve their own needs of freedom in the way they define freedom in life. And they were looking at their obedience to God as the ticket, the payment for God. Like, God, now you owe me. Please come, uh, send your Messiah and free us from this misery that we're living through. I'm tired of giving my money to Rome. I'm tired of obeying Rome. Free us from this. That's what the Pharisees were approaching. And we have to be careful because we will do the same thing. We will look at our devotion to God as a payment for now what we deserve a blessing for. God, I've given you my obedience this long, and, and I now deserve blessing from you. We have to be very careful that sneaky and every single one of us will think that. Because the enemy loves to tempt us in that way. Because he tempted Eve in that way. Is God really going to give you? Is, is, is he really giving you everything? Because you're not like him. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. See, he's withholding you tempted Jesus the same way. Is he really going to be there in your future? I think he's withholding something from you. We think God's withholding something from us, and so we say, God, I'm going to pay for it up front with my devotion so you can give it to me. 
careful. It's sneaky. The, the Pharisees also saw the Messiah as one that was a little less than David. But David's recognizing the one that's coming, the coming king, the promised one, he's greater than I am. So David is saying, there's a king coming that I bow down to. And that was unheard of for a king to bow to another king. A son could bow to the father. But David's saying, there's, there's a coming king I'm going to bow down to. him." Similar to what John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. So don't think I'm something of some authority and you can look at me. So, no, I'm bowing down to the one who's coming. And David is he's announcing, I'm bowing down to the one that's coming. Because he hears from God, God the Father says to God the Son, sit at my right hand. Now I love the word my. David has in that special said that steadfast love relationship that David knows with the Father. He knows, my Lord, my Savior, my Messiah that's coming. Isn't it wonderful that God lets us say that? That we can say, He's my Savior. He's my Heavenly Father. It should influence how we think of ourselves in life, in our identity. And here God, in essence, God says this to Jesus. God the Father says to God the Son, sit at my right hand. Now look at that first word, sit. The realization of something of a completion of a work. It's finality. It's done. Sit at my right hand. Now that location is very important because it was the place of honor in royalty. This is the same thing that James and John, remember the sons of Zebedee came to ask Jesus for? And on one account they brought their mama with him. Like, Mom, or how about you ask? That'd be, that'd be good. But even though she does ask, Jesus addresses James and John because he knew they were the ones really bringing the question. Can one of us sit at your right and one at your left when you enter your glory? Now, they were thinking militarily. They're thinking earthly, temporal. They're thinking, all right, you're going to finally bring this oppression, uh, a relief to this oppression. Can we have those places of honor? right next to you. Now, it says the disciples were indignant with them. You know why? I wanted to ask to sit the right and the left. Man, what are you doing jumping the gun and asking before I could ask? We do the same thing. We look for our place and we look for our position with God. We, we look for a reminder that he really is for us, and he is. But we have to make sure that we're not manipulating our way before him, uh, manipulating a way into a blessing. But this is the place for Jesus. And it's at the king's right hand. That was a, a picture. Typically, kings would have a shield on their left side and a sword in their right hand. And so when you had somebody that was honored, that was in the, uh, that right-hand spot, that warrior would also have a shield in his left arm and a sword in the right. In essence, creating a barrier and a shield for the one who is on the throne. So the king would put up his shield and the warrior would put up his shield right next to him, preventing anything from attacking that king. And 
And we see when Jesus seeks to honor the Father, and we look through the Gospel of John, and he's over and over, he's gushing at the fact that he loves the Father, and he only does what the Father wants, and he does exactly what he hears from the Father. As he's saying, I'm at his right hand, I'm protecting you. Now, not that God needs that protection from the Son, but it's a picture then of what God will be for us. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have that protection. And then God says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God is doing, I I like this concept. See, where's Jesus? He's sitting. Jesus isn't going out conquering his enemies. The Father is conquering Jesus' enemies. He said, sit right here. I'm going to do a work for you. And I'm going to accomplish everything and I'm going to stack up all of your enemies so you can rest your feet nicely and circulation can happen in your legs pretty well. Here, sit right here, but recognize it's God accomplishing something. Where's Jesus? He's seated, he's seated, seated next to the Father. He was seated. He was seated right there, right next to the Father. I think that's, this is setting up how God will accomplish the work of God. Jesus' authority on the earth. Look at verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. God's authority will go from his city, Zion. The place where his presence will go forth to fill the earth. Now remember how his presence does this. When Jesus died on the cross and was raised, well, when when he died on the cross, remember how the Gospels tell us that the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was a symbol and a a, a glorious announcement by God that God's presence wasn't kept behind a curtain anymore that only one person could enter once a year after doing all of the ceremonial cleansings because they didn't want to die going into God's presence. God's saying, because of the death of my son and me paying for your sins on his death, I'm not just asking you to come to me, I'm now bringing my presence to you. The power of the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, when we trust God for salvation, we then have His Spirit as His presence, and then He commissions us, go. Go fill the earth with my presence. See, this is where I think God, how God is ruling in the midst of His enemies. Who are God's enemies? Rebellious people who are in darkness. And they're walking in darkness and they don't know how to grope to see the light. They, they need light to be able to even understand they're in darkness. But what's he doing? Look at verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. What's David? David's got a huge revelation going on. And his revelation is God is going to rule. The rule of God and the reign of God is going to be seen on the earth through a willing people who have been redeemed and now clothed with Christ's righteousness, holy garments. Remember our study of Zechariah, when the garment of Joshua and Zerubbabel was taken, a new garment was given. The garment that Jesus is, because of 
uh, through our salvation and because of his work and his death for us. And now God is saying, I'm announcing my presence or uh, I'm advancing my presence and I'm going to announce my glory through a people who are redeemed and who will obey. Habakkuk 2, 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's mission is to fill the earth with the knowledge of who he is. How? Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How will they see God's glory? Through an obedient people. Go shine. Shine through your serving. Shine through your obedience and good works to the Father. Philippians 2, what will they see? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our mission as God's people, as he's accomplishing his mission, is to be obedient servants. And through our obedience, God is seen as king. Why? Because our allegiance is to him, not to any man-made uh, uh, culture or, or creation on this earth. God is saying, because we, we, have, we have a heavenly king we're submitted to. And so there's, there's, a, there's a line when we won't submit to governing authorities. That's when they're contradicting Jesus. But where we can submit to governing authorities, where it doesn't, it doesn't cross the barrier of, no, that would be against God. We submit. But when it crosses and we believe, no, that's against God, then our allegiance is to him. And all through church history, we have people being locked up because they were told to do this, and they said, I'm not going to do that. From, from the first century to now, across the globe, when preachers are told to shut up and stop, stop preaching, stop serving people, and they say knowing when Christians who are told to stop uh, uh, being nurses and doctors for people who are sick, because they're from an enemy tribe. And those, those Christians say, no, God loves that person and I'm going to serve and we're going to seek healing right now. And they're killed or imprisoned. That's the life that God's calling us to, to serve. So Jesus can be exalted. And we serve, and as we serve, his light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and his glory fills Verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. God says again to Jesus, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek occurs, we meet him first in Genesis 14, then we don't hear of him again until the writer of Hebrews picks him up and talks about him in Hebrews chapter 12, 5, 6, and 7. But, uh, what this, what this is, is, what is sure about God is he's saying a sure righteousness is not dependent upon performance. David received two phrases from God that were told about Jesus. And in this way, I think David acted as a prophet. So David, he wasn't a priest. 
but Jesus is he's king, he's priest, and he's prophet. So it was a foreshadowing, again, of, of the role that Jesus would play before God for us. Now, several kings in the Old Testament were judged because they weren't supposed to do the work of a priest. Remember Uzziah. Uzziah goes in to offer incense, and God plagued him with leprosy. He said, you don't cross those boundary lines. We have priests, we have a king. You don't cross them. Why? Because God was preserving something. He was preserving something for his own son. And uh, what we had from the Levitical priest was just like the kings, you had one Sometimes a bad king right after the other. You had priests that were bad priests right after the other. And God is saying, I'm looking for a priest that's different. I'm looking for a king that's different than what you know. That you look higher. So we have the mysterious Melchizedek. When Abraham, Abram at that point comes, Abram, he defeats a whole bunch of kings and he comes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses him. And then Abraham responds by giving him a tenth of everything he has. He tithes to him. And it said that Melchizedek was priest of the Most High God. And his name means King of Righteousness. Melchizedek means King of Righteousness. And he was King of Salem. King of Peace. Probably in the same area that Jerusalem was located. Is present day located. So we have this weird mystery. And, and now we have... He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's the order of Melchizedek. It's not the lineage. Jesus isn't descendant from Melchizedek. He's descendant from David. But, but David here sees this, and the writer of Hebrews picks up, Jesus is another type of priest, one that's never going to let you down, and whose performance will always be perfect before the king, always be perfect before God, so he can be the true mediator between you and God. That's the joy that we have in knowing that Jesus is priest over us. David, he booked his future on this king. And the king God's people longed for was a priest king to sit in authority over them. They were looking for Jesus. We know that he has been revealed in this way. And the writer of Hebrews picks up in Hebrews 7 that Jesus, when he... He played, when he fulfilled this role of priest, now, consequently, the writer says, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus prays constantly for you. He prays constantly. He doesn't fall asleep or get tired. He prays constantly for us. He lives to make intercession. I, I, I find that to be a joyful thing. He, he's anticipating more prayer. So this king, he rules. And this king also executes. Now, not like an executioner chopping off heads. He, well, some of that. He's executing the will of the Father. But as he's doing that... He's also judging nations. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Now, when we see the Lord is at your, at your right hand, we can see this as just a reminder that he's telling God, hey, God, he's at your, Jesus is at your right hand. But I actually think he's telling this to his audience. The Lord, Adonai, is at your right hand. 
What does that mean? So he can bid all of our blessings? Nope. So he's got a shield there to protect us. It's a picture of who he is. Remember when Stephen was stoned? Stephen, uh, Stephen looks up and he sees, sees Jesus then standing at the throne. He wasn't sitting at that moment. See, he sits in relation to his judgment on the earth, but he stands at attention when he brings his people home. He stands before the Father to plead and intercede for us. See, that's an engaging process. That's looking for something to be accomplished. But we have the the promise that he is our strength and our protection as his people. He is at, in essence, our right hand. But we are with Christ in that way. Verse 6, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Now we can look at this and say, why does it have to be that graphic and gory? Remember, Jesus executes a judgment really as a reflection of the cruel the cruel rebellion that rages in the hearts of every man that's apart from Christ, every woman that's apart from Christ. Now, because earthly kings, they pile up corpses as a demonstration of their power. Jesus turns and flips it on their heads. He says, I'm going to pile up your corpses so you can know how powerless here's what Jesus does. While other kings pile up bodies, Jesus says, I'm going to take my body, the church, and fill the earth with God's glory. That's what he does as we obey him, and he uses us to then shame earthly kings. He will use us to to bring earthly kings and authorities to expose the, the, the pride, to expose that their authority really has no power. But the heavenly authority that we submit to as God's people is the only power to bow down to. And finally, in verse 7, it says, He will drink, Jesus will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. I think it's a reference to John chapter 7, where Jesus says, Whoever's thirsty, come to me. And out of you will flow rivers of living water. What is this king going to do? He's going to enjoy the fruitfulness of his presence in his people. He's, so our obedience then is a refreshment to the Savior. He will drink from the brook by the way as his glory is filling the earth and he's using our obedience to do it and, and astounding earthly authorities because of our devotion to the heavenly authority of Jesus. He's refreshed by that and is enjoying it. That leaves us with the question, going back to verse 3. Are we willingly offering ourselves freely? Because Jesus' power is being shown. This is the day of his power. And we are in holy garments. Are we willingly offering ourselves to the king? We want to make sure that we we do that because we recognize, listen, we're servants of the king. But the king was the ultimate servant. And now we, as his people, we don't come to a throne of judgment. We come to a throne of grace and mercy to find help in our time of need. Pretty sure every one of us is in need. 
God is coming after our hearts yet again saying, trust me. I've got mercy and I've got grace for you. Judgment has been put on Christ. Come to me. Obey. And we experience the blessing of communion. So that brings us to the commission. I want to remind us of why we have this commission that we read include our times together. It's because Jesus is filling the earth with his glory. And he's using us to fill the earth with his glory. And so our love for other people, our love for the body of Christ, and our love for those outside of the body of Christ to serve them is bringing Jesus glory. And look what he says. We don't, we don't say this. Um, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's sitting. Done. It's concluded. The work is over. He has all authority. He is the king of all kings. Now he turns to his disciples and he says, Obey by bringing this light to others, but obey by teaching them and loving them into the light. So he says, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you so they can go out and they can obey and they can shine their light. Hold them with you always to the end of the age. His presence is with us because the curtain is torn in two with us. So when we're doubting, God, are you really next to me? Are you really here? Yes. Know it, but look, sometimes we have to know it. We have to know it here and, and ask for it to sink down into our hearts so we can experience and feel it. So a lot of times we're looking for the feeling, but we're not recognizing the truth that, that we already have. Sometimes we have to set our minds on the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for having this opportunity today in the context of our lives that we are in where uh, we're battling frustrations and we're battling confusion, uh, wanting, wanting to make uh, good decisions, and, and Lord, even trying to figure out how we're to respond in the tensions that we have, maybe in our own houses or the culture that we live in, we want to respond. But ultimately, God, we need to see you as enthroned over all. We need to see you enthroned over our hearts first. And, and may we willingly offer ourselves to submit to you. God, I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want to do it your way. Show me your way. And thank you that your faithfulness will show us. But Lord, guide us capture us. And Lord, may we love one another into obeying you even more and, and experiencing the blessing that comes from that obedience. Lord, help us serve and help us be a light in the midst of a lost, dying world that if they died today, they would face your wrath. But you have delayed your coming to give us another opportunity to shine with the light of the gospel. Bring about those gospel conversations, Father, so we can highlight your kingdom. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.